Welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Jake Neer in for Stephen Henderson. First off, I want to give a heartfelt thank you to everyone that came out to our debate watch party last night at Hopcat. It was fantastic to see so many people. Uh, the room was packed. It was a lot of fun. A lot of new faces, I would say. People that I hadn't seen come out to our events before. And we had a, a great uh, round of trivia before the debate. Uh, we played debate bingo for the first time. I think a lot of people had a lot of fun with that. Um, so thanks again uh, for coming out and joining us for that. Uh, I think it's a, a good way to actually enjoy the sometimes grueling process of trying to pay attention to American politics, especially when we're on debate number 5,000 uh, of this year so far. Uh, really nice to get together and share that experience and have a little fun with it. Um, and if you haven't come out to one of our events before, I really encourage you to do that, especially if you're feeling that drag on uh, American politics. Stay tuned. We will be telling you more and more about uh, events that we're doing throughout the year heading up to the November election between smart politics and debate watch parties and everything else that we do here. So stay tuned to the show. We will let you know when we're doing that. Today on the show, it is the second leading cause of death for people 10 to 24 years old. Suicide claims thousands of young lives every year, and the rate is increasing. Between 2007 and 2017, the suicide rate among people in this group increased by 56%. The increase in depression, anxiety, and other mental health issues have been significant in this age bracket, known as Gen Z. So what's causing this despair in our young people, and what can we do to offer support systems and networks in our schools and communities? We're exploring this topic all hour from a variety of perspectives. First, I, I want to welcome someone who has had to live with this issue. Keisha Jackson lost her brother to suicide in 2015. And in response, she created a nonprofit organization aimed at helping youth struggling with mental health. Keisha, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you for having me. So first off, uh, tell us about your brother, Caleb. Yeah, so Caleb, just like any other any other youth, was a joy. Um, he liked having fun. He liked talking to me. Um, he really just enjoyed life. I just didn't know that he was struggling so deeply that he wanted to end his life and wanted to not be here anymore. And I've, I've heard that a number of times, that it's not always apparent. It, it, you know, when especially you feel like you're so close to a to a person not knowing what they're going through. How did that how did that play out for you? Yeah, and and it's so weird because sometimes it's apparent, sometimes you do know when your loved one is struggling and your loved one doesn't want to be here. When someone wants to end their life, sometimes they do tell you and let you know and you can start to do some of those preventative measurements to help them get the resources and help that they need. But with my brother, like I had no clue that he was down in despair and dealing with, you know, depression to the point where he just didn't want to live anymore. So that 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 was a huge undertaking, like after it happened and and just wanting to know the reasons why. When mm -hmm. suicide occurs, it leaves so many unanswered questions and even more so unanswered questions when you don't see it coming. Yeah. Uh, talk a little bit more about maybe the years leading up or maybe the the time leading up to uh, 2015 
what how, how did he seem you know, you know more about uh why or kind of what his life was like um and and sort of your view of him in that time yeah so Caleb he was 22 years old he was working he has children that he left behind he was a really really good dad mm-hmm. very involved in their lives very active just an all-around family man So leading up to this point, everything seemed normal. Of course, we have our ups and downs. Like every day won't be perfect. Every day won't be happy. I mean, there were times where, you know, he was sad maybe that he had relationship issues and like all relationship issues impact you. It may make you sad at some point. They may make you happy. So just the normal everyday life's ups and downs that he had on a day-to-day basis. For me, I was living out of state at the time. So having our relationship essentially be virtual. We will talk Mm. on the phone. We will FaceTime. We will video chat. And then when I will come home, of course, I would visit him. The last time that we got a chance to spend like a substantial amount of time together was the prior Thanksgiving in 2014, where um, we spent a lot of time together. And, you know, I was there with him, his girlfriend at the time, his children. Like we were just having a, a fun time. And even much so, I ended up staying home an extra day because I just had so much fun with them. I didn't feel like driving back to Ohio where I lived. So thinking about that and thinking on that, like I I had no clue that a year later that I wouldn't see him for Thanksgiving again. Mm. We'll talk more about the way that technology plays into these issues later in the hour. But when you you talk about, you know, being out of state and interacting with someone through a medium, right, Mm -hmm. Uh, not in person, it's easy uh, if you want to hide what you're going through or or if you're not comfortable sharing what you're feeling to present, you know, yourself in a certain way that it's it's even easier than if you're doing it in person, it feels like it, which, uh, you know, I think that um, I've, I've heard quite a bit about that as well as we're talking about these issues that, uh, especially for young people, mm-hmm. um, there's there's an ability to sort of hide behind that that um, that that lens of of media. Yeah. Hide behind the text messages, mm-hmm. hide behind the social media. All you have to do is send a few messages here or there that are happy and pleasant and post a few positive things on your social media and everyone thinks things are fine. It isn't until you start to exhibit those behaviors of withdrawing from your family and friends or not um, engaging in those activities that you normally found joy in where you start to wonder, hey, something may be going on. Let me check on this person a little bit more. Yeah. You're listening to Detroit Today. I'm Jake Neer and for Stephen Henderson today, I'm talking with Keisha Jackson. She's the founder of Caleb's Kids. She's a mental health advocate. Her brother committed suicide in 2015, and we're talking about uh, what that meant for her life and her family and uh, why she decided to start a nonprofit in response to that. Uh, If you have uh, stories of your own, we want to hear from you throughout the hour today. Call us up. Tell us, how do you see this issue of teenage struggles with mental health and suicide play out in the world around you? Is it an issue that you've personally had to live with? Uh, Are you a parent? If so, what are you doing or thinking about in terms of giving your own children the best mental health care and environment to stay healthy? The number on the lines is 313-577-1019. Again, that's 313-577-1019. You can also leave us a comment on Twitter by using the hashtag Detroit Today. Now, Keisha Jackson uh, talk a little bit about um, when he decided to take his own life, your brother, uh, and what the sort of the fallout was from that. 
Yeah. So when it happened, I got a call from my mom. I actually had ended up staying home that Friday. It was November the 6th. I stayed home that Friday because I had a job that was lined up in another state. And so I was just staying home, getting some things straightened out for that opportunity. And so I got a call from my mom and I can still hear like the crackle in my voice when she told me that that Caleb had passed away. And even when she called me, I didn't believe it. I'm like, oh, no, he's not answering the phone for you, but he'll answer the phone for me. I'm going to call him. So I called him and the phone just rang and rang and rang and rang, of course, because he was gone. And in that moment, like my body just went numb. I I really couldn't process my emotions. I, I couldn't couldn't really feel the loss at that time. And so it took about a week and then it literally all just hit me. And it was the worst pain that I've ever felt in my life. I never imagined my life without him, even from the standpoint of like my insurance policies. He was the beneficiary on all my insurance policy. Him and my mom were split 50-50. So like I never just imagined my life without him. So when it happened, it, it, it was just devastating. And again, it just leaves so many questions. And it was very hurtful that you know, I could see everything that he had to live for, but that he couldn't see it. And and just wanting to know what was going on in his head at that moment and the pain he was feeling to where suicide was the only option. So with that came Caleb's kids because the experiences of myself, my family, I wanted no other family to experience that and also wanted other youth to know you have options. Like whatever is going on in your life, you can work through it. Whatever the pain is, there's help available. Mm. So that's where Caleb's Kids came from. Absolutely. And we'll talk more about the organization in a second. Um, Caleb was 22. He was mm-hmm. a little older than than a teen, still falls uh, into this category of people from uh, age 10 to 24 years old that is sort of the focus right now Mm -hmm. but um talk about how his passing got you interested in looking at others uh you know some younger uh people who are struggling with depression and and anxiety yeah so after he passed away i just really engulfed myself in all things mental health i started reading a lot more textbooks on mental health reading a lot more just informational journals academic journals and in doing so i came across statistics of you know with suicide being the second leading cause of death for youth ages 10 to 24 but also in that how most mental health concerns or mental health disorders, half of those onset by age 14. Mm. So what I wanted to do and, and, and what sparked all of this was, hey, like youth are dealing and struggling with these things much early on. If we can catch these things early on and educate youth, educate their parents, educate their families, then maybe we're able to put a dent into this number of suicide. Yeah. Um, really quick, before we talk about um, more about Caleb's kids, I'm curious uh, when when Caleb passed, I'm curious how his uh, suicide um, affected especially his family. You mentioned that he had kids and um, what that meant for the people that were directly around him. Yeah. So his children were younger at the time, like like two, three and four years old at the time. And so At that moment, they didn't understand. They just knew that daddy was gone. So as they have gotten older and, you know, their parents have explained to them, you know, why he isn't here, um, they understand now and and they ended up getting help as well because something like that is so tragic. You want to ensure that you're protecting yourself from feeling sad and feeling despair and protecting yourself from going down that same route as well. Mm. 
again, you're listening to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Jake Neer, and for Stephen Henderson, I'm speaking with Keisha Jackson, founder of Caleb's Kids, a mental health advocate here in Detroit. Her brother, Caleb, committed suicide in 2015. And uh, again, really would love to, to hear from uh, people listening today about your own experiences with these issues, um, how you've seen it play out, um, and, uh, you know, especially, again, if you're a parent, what are you doing and thinking about in terms of your own children and these issues? The number on the phones is 313-577-1019. Again, 313-577-1019. You can also leave us a comment on Twitter by using the hashtag Detroit Today. And uh, Keisha, talk about, again, um, when you were forming Caleb's Kids, when you decided that, how did you decide, I guess, that that was exactly, that was the way you wanted to respond to this? Was that part of your own grieving process in some way? Yes, it definitely was part of my grieving process. Starting Caleb's Kids has been extremely therapeutic for me. And it's so interesting because people always ask, well, how do you have the strength to do it? You know, Caleb passed away November 6, 2015, actually four days before his 23rd birthday. So November 6th and November 10th was his birthday. And then I started Caleb's Kids in April of 2015 or 2016, the following year. So when I when I started it, like, I just knew that I had to help. Like, I had this intense desire that I needed to help others. And this is the way that I needed to do it. So I, I, I had no choice. Like, it was my internal passion and internal desire to ensure that this does not happen to other families and this does not happen to other youth. Um, so uh, I guess in, in that context, um, how did that – one thing that I think about is when you – form a group like that. And, uh, you know, part of it is talking about what you do and uh, getting uh, the word about the group out there. Um, Like today, uh, you're putting yourself in a position where you really have to talk about your Mm -hmm. own experience. You have to talk about this. You have to live uh, with it as something that, uh, you know, it's, it's not like you go back to work and you're distracted by what you've gone through. You've sort of really embraced it. Uh, In some ways, has that been hard to, to, um, you know, have to share your story over and over uh, in some way? In some days, it is hard. So I ensure that I am practicing those self-care things that I preach to everyone that I come in contact and ensuring that I'm taking time to to make sure that I am healing and that I have enough resilience and strength to tell the story because I would, wouldn't want to be in front of someone and now I'm breaking down or now I'm crying or or unable to to help others because now I'm dealing with my own emotion. So I ensure that I mean, I, I know my breaking point, so mm-hmm. I ensure that when I do get towards that breaking point that I take a break and take a pause. But I also have team members who help me and ensure that, you know, we are taking care of each other. And they are also mental health professionals. So so they help out a lot to where I'm not carrying the the brunt of all of the work that we're doing in the community. Sure. So talk more about that work. Uh, what what are some of the things that you're doing with Caleb's kids and what uh, if, if people even wanted to get involved, how would they do that? Yeah. So the work that we're doing with Caleb's kids, we have community based programming where we are setting up at um, setting up tables at different events where we're passing out informational resources, passing out different help guides, different tools to parents as well as youth. We also have workshops and programming that we do throughout the year where we have hands-on workshops to educate parents and youth about mental health disorders, educate them about grief, how to cope, how to deal with bullying, how to deal with social media and practice safe internet 
behaviors. So we have hands-on workshops that we do. We also have some coping techniques of meditation and yoga, as well as Zumba classes that we offer. So we try to have a well-rounded approach so that people can learn these tools, but also take these tools back to their home. So when they are struggling or when they are going through something, they know that they can either practice these coping mechanisms or if the coping mechanisms aren't enough, they can go and get help. Have you had any moments where you, you know, something happened while you're out doing this work that made you especially gratified by the fact that you were doing it? Have, is there, was there a moment so far that has really stood out as uh, something that, that, again, made you feel good about the fact that you formed this group and uh, are doing this work? Absolutely. So we do a lot of outreach in schools as well. And so after one of our recent programmings, I had two youth come up to me and they had stated that they had recently struggled with their self-worth and struggled with suicide ideation to where one of them actually engaged in some self-harmful behaviors. And so they stated following my my workshop that we did with them that they now felt comfortable that they had the tools to overcome the challenges that they were facing um, and that if they didn't have, if they if they weren't able to use those tools, they did understand and did feel comfortable using the resources that we gave them, but also that they made a pledge that they wouldn't engage in those self-harmful behaviors anymore because they realize that they have a life and a life that they want to live and that whatever they're going through, they will go and get help. Mm. So that was extremely rewarding to me because we're, I mean, we're changing lives and impacting lives head on. Well, we're going to continue this conversation, going to take a really short break here, but we will continue this, uh, this conversation and hear from someone who counsels youth in academic settings. Stay tuned to Detroit Today. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Jake Neer, in for Stephen Henderson today. We're talking about the issue of youth suicide here in the United States and mental health uh, and some of the solutions, uh, the ways that we can help to make to address this problem. Uh, and I'm speaking with two people here that are working on this issue. Keisha Jackson is founder of Caleb's Kids. She's a mental health advocate, and her brother Caleb committed suicide in 2015. And I'd like to welcome uh, someone to the conversation now. Julie Weatherhead is director of Weathervane Counseling. She has a background in counseling youth in academic settings and focuses on grief and trauma counseling. Julie, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you so much. So, uh, Julie, uh, again, your background is in counseling at schools. Talk about some of what you've observed. And, uh, you know, there are a lot of kids struggling with their mental health, as we've heard. Uh, talk about what that looks like from your perspective. Yeah, so I was working in the schools for about nine years, and this is the first year I'm not in a school setting. Um, that's been some grief and loss for me. Mm. <laughs> but um, it's quite overwhelming, I have to say, being a school counselor these days and in, the, in these times, right? The caseloads are uh, fairly large. I've been in schools where you have 500 students that you're their, their school counselor for. I've been in schools where there's 250, right? That's the recommended caseload, which is still wow. a lot. Sure. <laughs> you know, that's well, the- in contrast, if you were a private counselor, what would your caseload look like compared to what you would look, what you'd see in a school? 
oh, your private caseload is up to you, really, right, and sure. how you're how you're going to work. I mean, we don't really recommend more than 20, 25, I would wow. say, for maybe full time, right? Because so, you're seeing them hopefully consistently and you're seeing them for an hour. Right. Uh, and you're able to check in on them and, and say, how are you, you know, how's that practicing of that? You know, sometimes you give clients homework to practice these new coping skills, these new ways of being, um, the shift in thinking mm -hmm. um, that you're really trying to get people to not only just learn about, right? But practice, put into practice. It's hard to change habits in your life. Absolutely. It is really hard. You don't just tell somebody and you're like, okay, cool. Got it. Bye. Mm. Um, <clears throat> we need that space to, um, to flex those, those muscles, those social and emotional intelligence muscles, right? Sure. So you're talking about a, a caseload about 10 times what you would see in private counseling. Sure. Uh, so what does that mean for what those sessions look like, what your interactions with kids look like in a school setting? Um, I like to reference a school counseling office sometimes to the ER of mm. counseling. Right? It's like triage. Yeah. Um, you have so many students. You have appointments, right? You set up appointments to see kiddos, not just for social emotional issues, but for academics, right? That was the main point, right? You're helping them with careers, your career counseling, um, what's going to happen after they graduate high school, which produces a lot of anxieties for anxiety for our kiddos these days. Um, you're helping them choosing their classes right now to set them up for exploration and to prepare them. They're dealing with tests and exams, and so there's a lot of exam anxiety. And so you're seeing these kids for all different reasons, and also you're, you're recommending them for programs, for scholarships, for you know, doing a lot of uh, education around academics. And so when you have an emergency, all that stops, right? Sure. And a lot of times those referrals are gonna come maybe from a teacher. They're gonna come from another student who says, you know, Ms. Weatherhead, I really need to talk to you. I really need to talk to you, right? And so you squeeze those kiddos in and then and then you deal with it, right? You and deal with it as in take care of the student in need and, and find them and you know, try to help bring them into a safe space with confidentiality, right? When other kids will kind of come and tell you about something they're going like, Oh, don't tell them it's me, you know. And I would always, you know, try to protect any source, you know, um, coming to me as a school counselor, but yeah, the, the day is pretty hectic, mm -hmm. you know, and, and that's part of what I liked about the job in a sense that you don't know what's going to happen every day. But um, it's a very serious part of the job is addressing the, that suicide ideation to a certain point can also be seen as a little bit normal. Right. I've thought about not wanting to be here at one point in my life for sure. Um, but also, yeah, how do we gauge how serious those, that ideation is or when somebody is self-harming? Um, making sure you deal with that proper follow-up where you you know you have to let the guardian or parent know and involve them in the situation and try to help get them the best care possible, which obviously is really hard to do in a school when you have 250 kiddos or 500 kiddos. Sure. I'll, I'll share a personal experience uh, that highlights, I think, the importance of this. We were lucky in my high school because we had uh, counselors that dealt with uh, academics separate from, we had one counselor that dealt, I think, more specifically with mental health issues. Um, and uh, I was a kid in high school who had very high anxiety. Uh, looking back, I mean, it, maybe at the time I had no idea what I was going through. Sure. I didn't know if it was normal. I didn't know if other kids experienced the same thing. 
Um, and at one point, uh, I don't know why I decided to do it, but I made an appointment with our school counselor. Right. Um, and again, it, 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 you know, I'm, again, I don't know how I made that decision, but um, and we had one session. That was it. It was probably like a half an hour. And just that one conversation, just I remember a weight just lifting off my shoulders mm. as a kid. And I mean, it changed it changed everything about high school for me from that half an hour. And I know that that's probably that might not be typical for for kids who who go to see a school counselor like that. But uh, for me, absolutely. I mean, it, it was such an important experience. Um, and uh, I think for kids who. Uh, need more of that attention. Um, you know, just just I think that is a it's a good example of how important that that is just to have someone to talk to in mm -hmm. a in a you know in that setting and not worry about uh, or even just be able to put what you're going through into perspective. When you're a teenager, you don't know. I, I, I think that it's so you have no context for what you're experiencing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I I guess uh, you know when it, when you're in a school setting. Um, you know, talk about the range of sort of things that you're what you're hearing from kids. Uh, you know, um, uh, what are the 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 things that you're you're hearing more often uh, from from youth uh, in those conversations? Um, I think anxiety from expectations of their future, right, or not really being sure about their future. So either the expectations are very, very high for a certain career path or a certain um, school or college that they have to get into, or sometimes they just have no idea of what's going to be happening next and um, self-esteem and self-worth, right? Like, oh, should I even apply for this or, you know, or how do I understand what I even like? Um, high school can be in any school setting, not high school, elementary school, middle school, um, there's a lot of, I can say bullying, but we all, I like to always reframe it as disrespect mm. for kids. I think kids are kind of, um, allergic sometimes to the word bullying yeah, that's and I true. like to reframe it as in like, you know, that's dis disrespectful. Are you respecting this person? Are you putting disrespect on them right now? Like, like, so self-worth, self-esteem, anxiety, and then, yeah, a little depression too, of I'm not really sure why I'm sad. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what I'm feeling, right? So when we can't put our emotions or feelings into words and express them too, I think it's also just not having those tools, right? A lack of tools of how to even, you know, what are the other feelings besides sad, mad, and mm. angry? Right. <laughs> um, so being able to receive that, the lack of the education around the different ways that we can feel and how we can feel multiple emotions at once and, um, what does being depressed look like or feel like or, you know, anxiety and panic attacks, a lot of panic attacks too, I would see in mm -hmm. schools. So trying to help kids have the tools to come down and bring themselves down from that. So um, it varies, you know, and, and the internet is a hell of a drug, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, like mm -hmm. it lets you hide behind things and um, young people will throw things at each other pretty quickly without really having to see the effects of that sure. face to face. I, I think all of us on social media do that for to a certain extent, right? You present a certain uh, image of yourself that might not reflect what's going on. And of course, sure. the, 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 the ubiquity of it for, for kids um, is is something to deal with that they might not have all the tools to deal with. I think that's 
Very true. You're listening to Detroit Today. I'm Jake Neer in for Stephen Henderson today. And uh, we're talking about mental health, especially among youth, about the teen suicide rate that is on the rise and what we can do about it. What are some of the solutions to these issues? I'm speaking with Keisha Jackson, founder of Caleb's Kids and a mental health advocate, and Julie Weatherhead, director at Weathervane Consulting, or sorry, Counseling, who she has a background in counseling youth in academic settings and focuses on grief and trauma counseling. Um, Keisha, I wanted to, to ask you a little bit about your focus on African-American youth and the racial aspect of these conversations. How does this look different uh, for, for kids of color? Yeah, for kids of color in the in the black community, we have a stigma around mental health and it's something that we don't talk about. It's something that we don't go and get help for. So when we're doing our workshop, it's almost making sure that we are normalizing the conversations around mental health and mental and mental illness and normalizing what does mental health look like and what does mental illness look like. So being able to use faces of maybe famous entertainers that they look up to who they are unaware have struggled with some type of mental health concern, but really using that image to show that you can still struggle with things. You can get help. You can work through it and you can still live and thrive and, and be successful and accomplish all of your goals and your dreams and really honing in on it is normal to go through things and it is normal to get help. Going, going back to my personal story about um, the, the counselor at our high school, I know that for a fact that there was a stigma um, associated mm-hmm. with when you saw kids coming in, in and out of that. Mm-hmm. And it was really unfair, but there were definitely was a stigma about just coming in and out of that office. Uh, talk about how you, you, you talk about that specifically uh, among um, you know, kids of color. What, what, talk about that stigma and how to deal with that. Yeah, so we always ask them, you know, have you gone to therapy? Like, would you go to therapy? And it's always a resounding, no, I don't want to go to therapy. Mm. I will never go to therapy. And in asking them why, it's because they feel like they can't talk to someone and they can't talk to a stranger. Or if they do talk to a stranger, the stranger doesn't understand them because the stranger doesn't look like them. So really being able to break through those objections with showing them like, hey, this is what a therapist looks like. A therapist can come in all different colors, shapes, sizes, ages. Like these people are here to help you. And even when they look at me and they when I initially come talk to the youth, they don't know like my background and, and with Caleb's kids and having a brother who looks like me that also ended his life, unfortunately. So once I talk about that, you'll see like a calm go over the room and a mm-hmm. silence go over the room because now they're seeing like, hey, it can happen to me and you and we have to work through this. Mm. Uh, we talk a lot in, uh, when we're talking about education and other issues, the importance of having teachers of color in the classrooms mm-hmm. um, and how big of a difference that could make. Mm-hmm. I assume that's similar for, for the counseling uh, environment as well. It's very similar because most oftentimes you feel comfortable talking to someone that looks like you or someone that has the same beliefs that you do. So it is a huge barrier in, in the counseling realm and ensuring that we are showing youth that, hey, there are counselors that look like you. Mm-hmm. Um, there are, are tons of counselors who are African-American here in the Metro Detroit area. Mm-hmm. So highlighting those counselors. We're actually sure. currently working on, I don't want to say a PSA, but almost like a PSA where we're highlighting counselors of color to be able to show the youth that, hey, 
this is what a counselor looks like. It's not the image that you have had in your head this whole time. Mm. This is what a counselor looks like. And this could yes. be on the other end of the phone when you call to go and get help. Sure. Um, if you have your own stories about these uh, experiences and these issues, we'd love to hear from you today. The number on the lines is 313-577-1019. Again, that's 313 313- Five seven seven one zero one nine. Have you been directly or indirectly affected by suicide? How did that experience make you feel? Uh, do you have a young person in your life struggling with mental health? What are you doing to help them? And do you th- feel like you have a role in helping them? Do you think social media has a role in this? Uh, did you personally struggle as a young person? Um, how did you overcome feelings of depression and, or anxiety, again, uh, when you were a teenager or when you were young? We really want to hear from you today. The number is, again, 313-577-1019. And you can also leave comments on Twitter using the hashtag Detroit Today. And right now, I want to take uh, Stephanie in St. Clair Shores. Stephanie, welcome to Detroit Today. Hi there. How are you? I'm good. Hi, Keisha and Julie. Thanks for being here and having this conversation. Yeah, thanks for calling in. Um, I just wanted to share a few thoughts. This conversation is important to me. Um, As a youth, I struggled with depression and anxiety, and um, it was pretty mild. I treated it kind of on my own by playing sports and getting involved as much as I could, but I knew it was kind of a lingering thing and that I was like a little bit different, and I functioned on a level of like where my emotions were just a little lower, Um, on a scale, I guess, compared to what I thought normal might be. Um, And so anyway, going into my 20s, I sought therapy finally and um, helped a lot. I turned a corner. I improved quite a bit and kind of worked through some issues that I had. Um, And then by the end of my 20s, I um, found myself married and we were expecting our first baby. And I knew that mental health was going to play an issue with that as well. Because I have a history of some mild depression and anxiety, I knew that postpartum depression and anxiety might be on the horizon for me. So I spoke with my doctor and made sure to have that conversation just to be aware Mm -hmm. of those signs and to keep an eye out for that because um, I knew maternal mental health was um, such an important thing to keep in mind so that I stayed safe and that my future my baby on the way was safe. Um, anyway, I wanted to help to mention too that I, not only for my personal reasons, but for family and friends, um, I try to help my community in being a mental health first aider. And that's a program that I took. Um, it was a one day course that I took at the, um, in the county that I live in that they offer um, every once in a while. And that has a program for both youth and adult courses. You can take one or you can take both. Um, and that, I found that course to be really, really helpful in not just learning more about my own experiences, but being able to be a mental health um, advocate myself for other people and trying to help explain what I went through and maybe give other people some resources. Stephanie, really appreciate the call. Thank you so much for, for sharing that story and, and those experiences. And uh, this, this idea of uh, mental health first aid, um, is that something that, that either of you have been um, uh, working on or, or are familiar with? Uh, what is the, the role of that in, in these issues? Yeah, absolutely. So mental health first aid is an eight-hour course that anyone can take. Mm-hmm. And they have a youth version and an adult version. Yes. And it really teaches you 
one, the the educational piece behind mental health. So you review mental health disorders, you review different signs and of awareness to to know if someone is in mental distress. But it also teaches you the questions to ask someone who may be suicidal, who may be be in distress so that you can then determine, can this person overcome this with talking to someone or do we need to take further additional steps by getting them hospitalized and getting them steps? And it's really as simple as asking a direct conversation. Have you thought about harming yourself? And if you have thought about harming yourself, how have you have how have you decided you want to do it? That question or those two sequences of questions will determine if a person really is strongly considering in the, ending their lives or if the person maybe can get help right away versus prolonging the help for later. Hmm. That's very interesting. It's something that I actually had no idea that that existed. So I learned something here. If you just look it up online, actually, different institutions will offer courses throughout the year. Um, So just look up mental health first aid and type in your city, and you should be able to see some events popping up um, from all different sorts of wellness institutions. We're going to take another short break. You're listening to Detroit Today. I'm Jake Neer in for Stephen Henderson. We will continue this conversation when we get back and take more of your calls and comments. The number on the lines is 313-577-1019. Again, that's 313-577-1019. Listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Jake Neer and I'm in for Steven Henderson today. We're talking about mental health among youth uh, and the increase in the teen suicide rate in the United States and what are some solutions to that issue. I'm speaking with Keisha Jackson, founder of Caleb's Kids and a mental health advocate, and uh, Julie Weatherhead, director of Weathervane Counseling, who she has a background in counseling youth in academic settings and focuses on grief and trauma counseling. Um, Julie, during the break, we were talking about uh, mental or we were talking about social media and the way that that plays into this. Obviously, when we're thinking about Gen Z specifically, social media, I felt like was ubiquitous when I was a kid, but it is even more so now. Um, Talk about the ways that social media plays into these issues and uh, what are some of the ways that we can think about helping kids as they're navigating this, uh, you know, this technology? Yeah, yeah. So one of the last schools I was at, I would, when I would come in to make a classroom presentation, right, and, and kids are on their phone, right? And I'm, I would make a joke, be like, yo, I know that we have some addiction issues going on here. And I would say it half seriously, half, you know, half joking, but, and share with them too, you know, it's hard for me to put my phone down as well. Mm-hmm. But, you know, let's, you know, let's try it out, put your phone down, put it, flip it down. So I would try to bring humor within that, but it is very true. We rely on these likes and these hearts. And I, I know that some of the major ones, I know Instagram, there's rumors about they're going to take the hearts away. Mm-hmm. Right. And so you just have to post something and live with it and not look for people to validate you that mm. way. But um, our brains have been being rewired to respond um, to these likes, to these responses to our Snapchat, you know, who sees it, who doesn't. Um, it's become a different world 
that doesn't feel grounded very much in reality sometimes, right? You mentioned before, you know, what people put out on social media versus what's really going on in their lives. And so, you know, it's, it's, a, it's an issue that affects all of us, adults and young people, yeah. um, to understand what eye contact looks like again, right? Mm. And what um, listening and um, actually being an active listener, right? And not having the typing ready to go, right? Sometimes we type out our answers in our head before we say them, but also when we're in front of a computer and we're, we're interacting, you know, our reactions are so quick. Mm-hmm. And so um, that kind of goes back to that social emotional uh, learning and intelligence that some schools are catching on to now. I'm really excited. It's been around for a really long time. Um, I've been able to practice it in some of my schools and develop curriculum that's really personal to the the young people that I'm serving and what's going on in their culture and their community. Sure. Um, because it is very different from school to school, even if you're in the same city, right? Yeah. There might be a certain issue that's really bubbling up with that grade level, even mm-hmm. grade level to grade level, it can be different. And so um, when we talk about social media and the rise of that, and also the rise of just technology usage in schools, right? Um, which is great, we need to prepare our, our youth for the future of how we're gonna be working together, but we also need to know how to work together in person and with people, how to deal with conflict. Um, sure. Yeah. And and talk about the word we hear a lot in the in this context is isolation, right? Mm-hmm. That that youth feel isolated even though they are constantly interacting. Um, right. How does that how does that play a, a role in in all of this? Yeah, isolation is you kind of sitting in front of that computer screen, right? And mm-hmm. not really getting even physical contact, right? Um, which has also become a pretty uh, pun intended, touchy thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and for good reason, in some cases, a lot of young people have gone through trauma in their life. And so um, a, in an educational setting, at least, you you do want to be really aware of that, um, of touching and, and body awareness and consent, you know, and teaching kids about consent, those things too, right? Again, when you're talking on the internet to this person that maybe you want to date or maybe you're interested in, and then all of a sudden you get with them in, in person and things move really quickly, right? Because you develop this online relationship with them, but then now you're in person and, oh, maybe this is moving too fast. Like, again, like these social media interactions um, can feel very different person to person. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it can still bring isolation, right? So even after that interaction with that person who you've been talking with online and then you go back and you're like, oh, but now I'm still by myself or... Um, you're having all these likes and all these conversations, but you're not really having in-depth conversations, right? Like what's the depth of these relationships that are happening? Right. And that's not to say that social media relationships aren't a positive thing. Mm-hmm. I know tons of young people who have made really great friends playing video games mm-hmm. with right. people from around the world. Sure. It has opened up and ac- you know, access for a lot of really great, positive, healthy interactions. But I think we somebody had mentioned earlier too, like as a parent, I think you, Keisha, as a parent or as a guardian, you do want to make sure you know what interactions your child's having online. Yeah, because... Yeah. In this virtual environment, you don't have like that face-to-face interactions. You don't have the the opportunity to build those social skills, to build your conflict management skills, to mm-hmm. build those emotional skills because you're only interacting with this virtual entity. So that also causes and creates some of the isolation because now you don't have the tools to deal with real life scenarios once you 
get those real yeah. life scenarios. I also want to talk about isolation in the physical sense, right? right so sure. systemically, if there's no public transportation in your city, in your town, I've worked in rural areas and I've worked in city areas. So how do we get kids to those villages that are outside of their school and their homes to make these connections, these real life connections with real life amazing people who mm. run after school programs, mm. who um, are getting them involved in the arts and sports? Because as we know in certain places as well, that's been cut, right? Mm. <laughs> those things don't exist as, as much in a lot of the school systems that we see. Um, and which is, you know, that's a shame. And that's a form of, systemic oppression where we don't have the transportation and the ability and the access to certain programs equally across the U.S. or across the state of Michigan. And so that's a form of isolation, too, when a a kid will sometimes go home from school. You know, that's it. That's their social interaction for the day. And school can sometimes be a very stressful place, very high paced. You know, you're going to seven classes a day. You're trying to absorb all this material. You've got tests to take. You've got you know, and it's, it's, um, it can, yeah, that can produce those feelings of isolation, loneliness, depression, um, when you don't really have access to those humans that you would like to mm-hmm. be I, in those programs. I mean, uh, the, the, the pressure that is on kids in academic settings and in mm-hmm. life in general, uh, expectations, uh, I mean, just getting enough sleep, right? I mean, I, I know that when I was a kid, I was up, I was doing homework, I was doing all the after school activities, I was stressed out, probably couldn't sleep in part because of that. But also, once I was done with all that, that was my time to get on at the time, dating myself, AOL Instant Messenger, (laughs) and, uh, you know, and chatting with friends probably until sometimes two or three o'clock in the morning. Uh, And I mean, that that cannot help (laughs) in any way. Right. Uh, that you know that that I assume that uh, that even just the the very act of making sure you get enough sleep, I I, I would assume is probably something that kids struggle with. Yeah, yeah, yeah they definitely struggle. Their prefrontal cortex is not developed. Like <laughs> yeah, their brain right. is developing, it is growing, and yeah. that sleep time is precious. Yes, For it's sure. so critical, so so critical. Um, we, the number on the lines again is is three one three five seven seven one zero one nine. Again, that's three one three five seven seven one zero one nine. I want to get Jonathan from Dearborn on the air here. Jonathan, welcome to Detroit today. Hi. Uh, so, just to kind of build on what you were just talking about, I feel like in my lifetime and in my parents' lifetime, uh, like communities have become a lot more divided by like the socioeconomic status. Um, people. You know, I know so many people who have moved to areas with better schools, and that means that there's a lot more homogeneity Mm -hmm. inside one particular school system, and there's a lot less economic diversity in a lot of school systems. And it feels like that creates a pathway where kids don't know anybody who is doing well, and they don't really see a pathway to become somebody who is doing well financially when they get out of school. I feel like that's pretty, you know, there's always that concern when you're in high school, like, what am I going to do with my life? Am I going to be able to take care of myself? Can I, can I finally move out with my parents? Um, but it feels like it's, that's a more remote prospect maybe now than ever. And like, do you experience, like, is that something that kids are worried about in high school and, and even younger? Hmm. Jonathan, thanks for the question. I'll open that up to our guests. 
Well, from my experience, financial concerns are definitely a huge contributor mm-hmm. to some of the mental health concerns that we see. It contributes to depression. It contributes to anxiety. It contributes to to some of these things that we do see as causes of suicide. Mm-hmm. So that is those pressures and, and not being able to have an outlook on what you're going to do in your life definitely is a contributor and a big factor. Mm. Uh, And, you know, recently I read an article to sort of expand on all the anxieties that kids might be experiencing now. I recently read an article about what specifically what's happening to the world with climate change, Mm -hmm. uh, the climate crisis is doing for young people right now mentally. I'm curious. Uh, I, feel, I think we are all feeling uh, anxieties related to that about politics, about the state of the world right now. How is that playing out in, in for, for young people right now? And I'll open it up to either of you. Yeah. So when we look at our current climate and we see like everything we see on the news is usually negative stuff. Mm-hmm. And there's usually, you know, very impactful things that's going on in our nation and in our world that can cause you to be sad every day that can really impact how you may feel about yourself, how you may feel about your outcomes. You may even think that, hey, this is going on. Well, what does this mean for me in 15 years when I graduate college or when I graduate high school? Like, how is this going to impact me? So we do see those types of things affecting us. And even like climate in the literal sense of you know, sunny days versus rainy days and cloudy days. You know, we have this thing called seasonal affective disorder mm-hmm. where in the wintertime and in, in, in colder months, you see the the instances of depression and, and suicide ideation increasing because we need the sun. Like vitamin D is critical Very real. To, mm-hmm. to, to us like being happy and us to our emotions. So our like our cultural climate, but also our literal climate of Hot and cold also impacts us on a day-to-day basis. I lived in, in Arctic Alaska for a year where it's <laughs> dark for two months straight, and that was absolutely an issue, especially for, well, for everyone in, in, in the town. Um, you know, so I'm, I'm the father of two young kids right now. I've got a four-year-old and I've got a seven-month-old. And I'm already sort of thinking about, especially in the context of this conversation, what can I do now uh, to sort of, because I don't have teenage kids, but, you know, are there things that parents can do from an early age to try to give kids the best chance at, at, at making sure that they have the emotional maturity or the tools to deal with these anxieties later in life? Uh, Julie, I'll start with you. Yeah, I think going back to even that statement of maybe isolation, right, and community building um, and resources. So as a parent, something that I encourage all parents to do is to look up summer programs, Mm. right? Are there summer programs in your community that is something that you can get your your young person, your child involved in? And your kids are pretty young, Jay. Yeah, (laughs) very young. um, I'm already working with them on identifying the emotions they're feeling. Yes, emotional ABCs. Yes, that is super real too, right? So Mm -hmm. you can do those. You can buy books that have people that look different than them too, right? When we talk about what's going on in our culture and politically and um, diversity and educating um, ourselves about each other, about our humanity and what the struggles are that we individually go through. Um, So buying books that expose kids to that and teach them these lessons of character and morality and being able to be safe to express themselves. Julie Weatherhead, director at Weathervane Counseling, and Keisha Jackson, founder of Caleb's Kids. Thank you both for being here on Detroit Today. Thank you for having us. Thank you. 
This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. I'm Jake Neer. Steven Henderson's back tomorrow. We'll catch up with a group of people organizing here in Detroit for some of the presidential candidates. Thank you so much for listening. Tune in tomorrow.